Welcome to week four of our six-week series. We're over halfway. We're focusing on these seven words. The Son, the Father, the Spirit, grace, community, kingdom, and love. We have reminded ourselves of the importance of vision. We've sought to fix our eyes on God. We've walked through the door that is Jesus. We've been released into our calling as worshippers. We've reminded ourselves of the father heart and fatherhood of God and the security and the identity that bestows on us. We have restated our total dependence on the presence of God through the Holy Spirit and the need to give him space when we gather and when we are scattered. And last week we replaced our feet firmly on the foundation of God's grace that tells us our salvation is secure, we can say no to sin, we can be open and authentic with one another and we can be the most welcoming community the world has ever known. Wow, we've covered a lot in three weeks and now we turn our attention to the community of grace, the church. The Greek word that we translate church is ecclesia. It literally means gathered, community gathered. And community matters. The community of grace, the community of believers matters. John Wesley is reputed to have said that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Whether Wesley pens those words himself or was quoting another, the truth remains, biblical faith is corporate. Now, of course, salvation is personal. Jesus died for individuals. Jesus died for you and for me, as well as the whole world. God is a personal God, a father who knows each of his children individually. We know that he knows the hair on our head. He knows when we rise. He knows when we go to bed. We cannot escape him. It's God's heart that none should perish. And the great cloud, crowd of worshippers around the throne in Revelation is made up of numerous individuals from different tribes and tongues and nations. When someone says you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, they're correct, at least in terms of salvation. But in every other aspect of faith, they are totally wrong. It is a tragedy that the pain caused by one Christian upon another has, some, has caused some to give up on the church. It is in the church community that we are encouraged, empowered and equipped. And it is when we are apathetic in our attitude towards the church gathered that we become anemic in our kingdom influence when we are the church scattered. Why does community matter so much? Well, many reasons. Here are a few. Number one, God is community. Genesis 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of, of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Scripture is clear. God exists in community. 
we express that community through the language of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God creates out of that community. We know that the Father speaks, the Spirit hovers, and the Son is involved in every aspect. John tells us in his Gospel, nothing that has been made was made without the Son. God is community. God creates out of community. It's in community that we display the image of God. We've said throughout this series, who we are is of primary importance. We are image bearers and we are perfectly image bearers in community in this first community male and female adam and eve god is community god creates out of community we are created for community genesis 2 18 it's not good for man to be alone ecclesiastes 4 9 to 12 two are better than one a three-strand cord is not easily broken psalm 133 how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity we are hardwired for community that's why grief and loneliness are so painful if we're not built for community why do we suffer loss? And yet we do. We grieve. I'm speaking to you from a, a city of nearly nine million people, and yet loneliness is one of the most desperate things in this city. Why do people feel lonely? Because they're created for community. God's image in us is meant to resonate with community. Now, of course, we're different. Some love a crowd. Some love one-to-one. -one. We're internal processes and external processes, extroverts and introverts. Personalities are different. But community is who we are. Tragically, community is damaged by sin. Genesis 3, the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. Community breaks in that moment. Blame. Where there had been no shame, there's now blame. Genesis 4, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, Am I my brother's keeper? To which the answer is, Yes, you are. Community is damaged by sin. Once Adam and Eve started walking away from God, the first casualty, the first thing to die is community, is relationship. They go from being naked and knowing no shame to blaming one another for their sin and their disobedience. We don't need scripture to tell us that sin damages community. We only have to think about some of the tragic circumstances in our own lives where we have fallen out of relationship with someone. Where we've not talked to someone for weeks or months or years because of something they said or something we did. Community is damaged by sin. And yet community is displayed in God's glorious restoration plan. 
Abraham and Sarah together are given Isaac. Jacob takes his family into Egypt. Moses leads a nation out of Egypt. Egypt. Joshua establishes tribes in the land. David unites a kingdom. Solomon builds a temple for corporate worship. God protects a remnant community in exile. Ezra and Nehemiah re-establish a city and a nation. Jesus builds a community and sends them out not on their own but in teams. The Holy Spirit falls on the 120 and sends them together out into the crowd. Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved and added. God is passionate about community. God is passionate about his people. God is passionate about his church. And so his restoration plan from beginning to end is never done by one person on their own. There's always a team. There's always a family. There's always a tribe. There's always a community. Even Gideon, the smallest of the small, says, Oh yes, but I'm the smallest in a clan, in a tribe. Community is commanded in Scripture. God's saving plan is not just about restoring our relationship with the Father. It is to restore a community built around that relationship. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's tough enough, but then he throws in, Love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no commandment greater than these. The New Testament church is uncompromising in its outworking of this principle of community. Acts 2 tells us they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And Acts 4 says there was no need amongst them. John in his letter to the church says it even more starkly. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. Community matters. The church matters. God is passionate about his church. And Paul, in possibly the most famous passage about community, carries all of that biblical foundation, the heart of God, into what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, we're encouraging you to spend time in these scriptures through the devotions, through the weekend, on your own, in your friendship group, in your household, in your life group. We're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking 1 Corinthians 12. Let me read it to you. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is... They are many 
but many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. We mentioned before that the church in Corinth was a mess. If you wanted as an apostle to present a church as the perfect demonstration of all this truth about community in the heart of God, you wouldn't choose Corinth. Their meetings, we're told, did more harm than good. And yet Paul refuses to accept their brokenness. He refuses to start again. Paul has total faith that the Holy Spirit can take this disparate group and form them into an incredible community of faith, the one that Jesus envisaged. And Paul gives us this amazing imagery. We can miss how good it is when we are familiar with it. It's incredible the way Paul describes the church using our own bodies. It makes sense to us. And what do we learn from Paul's teaching? If we believe that community is really in the heart of God, that the church is God's plan A, what do we learn about that body? What do we learn about that community? What do we learn about the church through these writings? Paul says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The first thing we notice is that our community does not rely on us, but on God. The foundation of the church is God forming that community. We are made into the body of Christ through the work of the Spirit. God who exists in community forms us into community. I grew up in a Baptist church. I was baptised at 14, 15 actually in a Baptist church. And when I got baptised, what happened in the church that I was in, I was baptised as a sign of my repentance, as a sign of my salvation. I died with Christ. I died to self. I was brought up, raised with Christ. At the same moment, I became a church member. I mean, I could go to church members' meetings. 15-year-old church members' meetings are interesting. The meeting, not so much. But what were they saying in that? What was, that? what was the philosophy behind someone becoming a church member at their baptism? It was this. You are not just baptised into faith, into relationship with God. No, you are baptised into the church. As I gave public testimony to my personal faith in baptism, I was also recognising that by God's grace, by God's activity, through God's Spirit, I was being formed into the church. I was being brought into the church. I was not joining a club based on my character or their character. On, I wasn't joining a club based on common interests. I wasn't even joining a friendship group, although I made incredible friends. No. The foundation of the church is not personal chemistry. 
the character of God. I might say I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. But do you know what? That doesn't mean I'm not part of the church. I am. I'm part of the body. If I choose not to turn up, well, that's a loss to the body and a loss to me. But at no point am I not part of the body because me being part of the body of the church is not based on my behaviour. It's based on Christ. It's based on the Holy Spirit. Paul can't give up on the Corinthian church because he didn't form them. Yes, in Acts 18, we read about him preaching the gospel and people getting saved and he was instrumental. Of course he was, but he didn't form the church. Christ forms the church. We'll see next week, Christ builds his church. We're in. What else do we learn? We learn this. Diversity is essential for true community. Before we moved to London a few years ago, we lived in a small Sussex town which carried the unenviable title of the cult capital of the UK. We had more religious cults in our little town than anywhere else in the UK. A combination of history and geography meant that down through the years some major dodgy movements had moved into the area. And on a Saturday morning, one particular group would bus in all their members to our local Sainsbury's. Identical buses. Off those identical buses would come people, men and women, but they were identically dressed, whatever their age. If you had a conversation with them, their intonation, their tone, their expression was identical. They believed the same, they spoke the same. That is not what the Church of Jesus Christ is about. The Church of Jesus Christ is not a cult, it's a community. And it is a community that is based on diversity. Diversity is essential for real biblical community, for real church, for a real people of grace. These verses are full of glorious diversity. Different parts of the body, different cultures, different backgrounds. Do you notice that? Jew and Greek, Greek, slave and free. Ears, nose, eyes, hands, feet, unmentionables. It is diverse. And it's meant to be diverse. It is not that the church of Jesus Christ, it's not that the grace-filled community is meant to be one particular flavour and anyone can join as long as they're happy to be that flavour. That's not diversity. It's not diverse to say this is how we do it and if you're happy to do it how we do it, you can join. That is not diversity. Diversity is when everybody comes and brings their flavour, their style, their gifts and that mix then forms the culture of the church which will then evolve when other groups meet it. What a glorious day it will be when people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation are singing. But we won't all sing in the same way or looking the same. We will maintain our diversity because that is God's plan for his community. God forms his community. We are saved into that community and that community is meant to be truly diverse. Everyday church is diverse we want it to be increasingly diverse what else do we learn we learn everybody matters paul's use of metaphor is so comical we can miss its profundity 
You know, oh, can an ear say I want to be an eye, and can a hand say I want to be a foot? Well, we may marvel at what some people are able to do when they <coughs> have to overcome a physical disability. But actually, we also recognize that each part of our body has a unique role. We recognize this especially in our own bodies when one part doesn't work. An abscess into under our smallest tooth impacts our whole body. Everybody matters. If one suffers, all suffer. If one is honoured, all are honoured. Everybody matters, which means that all should be honoured, cared for, loved, included. Paul makes it clear the body is not all the same. There are different levels of responsibility. There are different roles. There are different giftings. That's what helps our diversity. That's what makes us thrive. But honour is the same throughout. There's only one part of the body that receives special honour and that is the head and the head of the church is not eldership or leadership or a certain gift. No, it's Christ. It's Christ is the head. We must celebrate all parts of the body and what's not to like about being celebrated. But we must also recognise everybody matters. So we want to honour all, we want to care for all, we want to love all, we want to include all. But that also means that every person matters in terms of service, in terms of bringing their gift, in terms of giving, in terms of sin. We talked last week about grace and the importance of authenticity and vulnerability and being able to be open and honest with one another. But Paul is making it clear here, if everybody matters, everybody matters. If I do get tripped up by sin, if I do fall into sin, that doesn't just affect me, that affects you. Because we're part of the same body. Therefore the grace to say no to sin is not just about my personal holiness, it's about our holiness. It's about, not just about my health, it's about our health. It's not just about me not giving the devil a foothold in my life, it's about me not giving the devil a foothold in our life because we're part of the same body and everybody matters. Paul goes on in verse 27 to say this, Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing or helping, of guidance of different kind of tongues. Are all apostles, all prophets, all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now evenly desire the spiritual gifts. Why does he include that? Well, because he's teaching on the spiritual gifts, but also because he's trying to remind the Corinthian church that there is an importance when they gather, but when they gather, they're being equipped to be scattered. The body of Christ gathers together. But it's not a body that sits around waiting for Christ to return. The church is never meant to be some holy huddle. In the same way that our bodies need to breathe in, They also need to breathe out. We need to gather. 
a healthy church community gathers, is equipped, is encouraged, is empowered, but it also breathes out. It's equipped to breathe out. We work it out in every area of life and we'll encourage you to talk about that in this week's devotions. So we know that community matters to God. God exists in community, creates out of community, creates for community. We're hardwired for community. Salvation is done through community. Community is diverse. Everyone is essential. Finally, we need to remember that we are a covenant community, not a collection of consumers. Paul says you are the body of Christ. Covenants were sealed by blood. Our covenant with God is sealed by blood, the blood of Christ. Our covenant with one another is sealed by the blood of Christ. We live in a self-centered, self-obsessed, consumer-driven world. And it is so easy for our world culture to shape our church culture. Church leadership, church leaders, if we're not careful, can focus on felt needs, marketing tactics, seeker-sensitive sermons, amazing kids and youth work, off-the-chart welcome and worship bands, entertaining and engaging sermons, and of course, amazing coffee. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing biblical about doing things badly. Excellence does glorify God and honour others. To do the very best we can with what we have to make the gospel attractive to those outside is of course a good thing. But the danger of excellence, the danger is that we major on those things. The danger is that we start to treat God and the church as a product that we are trying to sell to our friends and our family and our neighbours. The church is not a product. The church is a covenant community formed by God through the blood of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we become followers of Jesus, we are not joining some club which exists to meet our preferences. We are entering a covenant community where we have died to self and committed ourselves to one another. We don't talk a lot about covenant now. Some scholars have suggested that the only covenant that still exists is that between a parent and a child. A parent just can't walk away from a child. Just can't do it. There's something about that bond that still remains. But almost in every area of life, between employer and employee, between husband and wife, in work settings, in church, it feels like we've lost covenant. And yet, the church of Jesus is a covenant community. It is sealed by blood. I do not attend church. I am the church. We do not go to church meetings. We gather as the church. We meet as the church, sometimes big, sometimes small. That doesn't mean we lose our identity or our voice or our calling. 
We don't become yes sir, yes madam merchants who just nod at everything. No, we're meant to be diverse, remember. But we are in a covenant. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? What does that mean to us? This week in our devotions, we wanted to ask that question. What does it mean to be a covenant people who have died to self and live for one another and for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the reminder that community matters to you. Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit would you would stir in us afresh a passion for your church. Help us, Lord, to, to come to you with the bits of our past that may have been damaged, to find forgiveness and to find fresh joy in this glorious covenant community. Amen.